Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer K. Hill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. Today, we have a special guest who is an old dear friend who was with me back in the days when I was creating my last company in the legal recruiting space. We would often speak on stages at the same conferences, and I had him on as a guest many times on our old podcast, Get Yourself the Job. He is a best-selling author, world-renowned leader, storyteller, consultant, and coach, Paul Falcon. Paul, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks, Jennifer. It's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah, I love how serendipitously we reconnected about a week or so ago. Paul and I go way back, as I mentioned. And as we were talking about both of our mutual passions for human beings loving the work they do and how to support leaders with supporting their teams with that, I said to Paul, I said, Paul, I'd love to do a show with you on the consciousness of our careers because everything in life has a consciousness to it. And particularly, we spend 90% of our lives working So, Paul, tell us a little bit about, maybe to get started, how it was that you came to be this world-renowned leader in human resources and writing numerous best-selling books. How did that start for your own personal journey with your career? Oh, shocks. I love that question, Jennifer. That's fine. No, I spent most of my career in entertainment and in healthcare. Those were my two verticals. So I was head of HR for Nickelodeon and head of international HR for Paramount Pictures. I'd also worked at City of Hope, which is a fairly well-known cancer research hospital. And the reality was, as I was working in these organizations, I loved writing. And I got my start publishing some articles, trying to get articles published. And that happened. And I was writing for the American Management Association and the Society for Human Resource Management. And at one point, I had about a dozen articles behind my name with the AMA. American Management Association, and I knew they had a book publishing division. So I asked the person who was my contact, the editor, I said, could you politely put this book idea in front of the folks on the book publishing side of the house? And lightning struck. And my first book uh, came out. This was around 1995. Next year, spring of 2024, my 17th book comes out with HarperCollins. Knock on wood, it's been going great. So I've always had these two parallel careers. I was doing my job, but I would always tell people I'm not quite creative enough to come up with all this content. When you're in human resources, the content seems to find you. So I can tell the story around it and try and make it a lesson that everybody who reads the book can learn from, so to speak. It's such a great point, Paul. I think one of the greatest lessons we learn as human beings is how to interact and how to not interact with one another. So let's say that somebody is tuning in right now, they're listening to this, and they're going through a crossroads. Just today, I had two or three people email me in response to an email I sent out about a challenge I went through last week and how it helped to catalyze me into thinking about myself and what I'm doing with my life differently. What do you recommend for people who are at that crossroads in their journey? I know you've coached thousands of people in your tenure doing what you've done over these last several decades. Yeah. The funny thing, Jennifer, is you've got to go with the bottom line is what's in your heart, right? We have this internal guidance system. You can call it your soul. You can call it your gut, whatever you want to call it. As long as you're true to yourself that way, you're always going to be fine. It's good that we go through our mind. It's good that we think about things, we analyze them, we try and diagnose them. 
But the bottom line is that's step one. Step two is ultimately you have to do it with what's in your heart. And as long as you're true to that way, you're going to be okay. There are going to be moral conflicts, ethical conflicts that you run into, relationship breakers where you're so disappointed. This is all part of the human element, right? And I even tell people in my writing, it's important to have bad bosses because bad bosses help you define who you're not. And that's important as you're growing on your journey to understand who you are. They, we have some wonderful bosses who put the goalpost on the one side. You have some what you would phrase as probably or categorize as not really very good people or bosses that are on the other side. You define yourself in that middle. And even when you walk away from something and say, I'll never do that to my people, as an example, I would never do. Okay, but that's fine. That helped you cement something that maybe wasn't on your radar screen or something you wouldn't have even thought of ever doing, but it does exist out there. And it's in those relative relationships that we really define ourselves. I know exactly what you're talking about, Paul. I remember years ago, I had just gotten married and I was uh, landing for my honeymoon, actually. And my father-in-law, we knew something had happened while we were traveling, but we didn't know what. And I landed, Paul, and found out that my father-in-law was in the hospital and dying. So I remember yeah. going to my HR team at the small office I was working at then. I said, I'm so sorry. I know I just got back from my honeymoon and I did have days still accrued that I could use. And I said, out of respect, I just wanted to check. Can I take a Monday or Friday off to fly up to Montreal and just see my father-in-law? We don't know how long he has. And I will always remember that moment, Paul. My boss at the time said, Jennifer, we both know we're in a very unforgiving business that doesn't care if people in your family are dying or if you just got married. So think long and hard about that before you go on this vacation or this time to go see your father. Oh my. Yeah. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Yeah. And though to your point, Paul, it did catalyze me of I as much as I may not have been a good boss, I was probably many people's bad boss when I first started my career because I didn't know much. I knew I didn't want to be that person. So I was always very flexible with giving people time off. Yeah, me too. Of course. I was a jerk in other ways. So, you know, we're all doing the best we well, can. Well, we're, we're doing the best we can. It, there's no perfection standard. So that's okay. That goes for me too. I understand. Yeah. So let's say somebody does have a bad boss. How do you know when enough is enough? Do you stand up to the bad boss? Do you risk getting fired? How do we navigate that from a place of awareness rather than reactivity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. The way you phrased it, the reality becomes you'll know when you hit that point that says, I really don't care if I lose this job anymore. And one of the things I've always told my kids, and one of the things I've always told the employees who work for me is never be afraid of losing your job. The reality is, yeah, you, you bring something to each company where you work and you benefit from being as part of that organization. But you can't be afraid of losing your job. You can't give up your soul in the process. If you're working for someone who fundamentally you don't care for, you don't respect, you don't like, and you don't trust, that relationship is destined for breach. That's not going anywhere. So you can stay because some people don't like change. And I understand that. But the reality is you don't want to keep yourself in an unhealthy relationship that will wear you down over time. So whether it turns into a gunfight at the OK Corral, I'm having it out with him or her today because I can't do this anymore and I don't care if I lose my job, or it turns into a, I'm going to start a job search and I hope that three to four months from now I'm somewhere else. Don't stay in unhealthy relationships, personal, business, or otherwise, because that will wear you down and it goes contrary to your soul. It really does. And it's just not something that's sustainable over the long term. 
I completely concur with you on that, Paul. In fact, I was reading a statistic for the current company we created as we were talking last week, OptiMatch. There was a statistic I had researched, which is 83% of U.S. workers, according to the American Institute of Stress, suffer from work-related stress illness, such as depression or anxiety. I mean, 83%, that's an exorbitant amount of people. And so the question I always have, because I find that there are gifts. Every person is a gift. In fact, I'll share with you a funny story that came up. I forgot all about the story until I was being interviewed on a podcast earlier today. And the guy said, Jen, tell us a story about the letters that you shared years ago on the show. I was like, what? And then it dawned on me. So years ago, Paul, somebody had shared with me a beautiful story of how a person comes into our life or a situation that is like a letter. It is a written and beautiful script to Paul Falcon or Jennifer Hill, right? And we receive the letter and that letter is a boss who's abusive or a person who's being a jerk or a circumstance we really don't want to deal with. And what do we do? We go, oh, no, not for me. Return to sender. No, clearly it's the wrong message, not my letter. What happens at the soul level, as you were saying, we get more letters back, right? We get more of the same person, more of the same obstacle or circumstance until one day we open the letter and then poof that circumstance or person disappears when we're willing to learn whatever the lesson is. And I feel like jobs are one of our greatest teachers in that way. And in fact, I recall hearing a story, Paul, of a woman who hated this woman at her office. She hated this woman. She's like, she was one of those people who talked like this and was like, hi, you want to hang out? Let's go do this. And this woman was complaining to everybody about this woman who was annoying her. So one of her teachers says to her, who are you in your life to other people that this woman is to you? And the woman was indignant and said, how dare you? I am not this way to anybody. And she said, well, <laughs> until you can figure that out, you're going to keep encountering this person or the same sort of person. So she looked and thank God she was spiritual, very deeply reflective. And one day she thought she had turned over every stone and boom, Paul, it hit her like a ton of bricks. The person was her husband who was working from home. So she'd be like, hi, honey. Hi. Yeah, you want to spend some time? Well, <laughs> no joke. The moment she realized that, the person who she was working with who was annoying her got transferred to another office. So I'd love to hear your take on that. What are the biggest lessons that you've seen, whether you're a leader, whether you're somebody who's in the job? You, I know you've counseled tens of thousands of people throughout your career. Tell us a bit about that. And the funny thing is when we were talking last week, when we caught up, it was like with my books, the books have done well. I've been blessed. I've been fortunate. But I think the reason the books have done well, very simply to me, Jennifer, at least as the author, is like, number one, they teach people how to do things. Everyone knows what to do. They don't know how to do it. So I do a lot of scripting in my books or examples of what tough conversations might sound like or whatever it happens to be. And I tell people, make this your own right? I can't tell you exactly what words to say, but this is what it could sound like. And this is how an employee might respond to it. So teaching them the how in all the different books I've written is really critical. Again, they know the what, they just don't know how to implement it. The second thing is, I've always said there's an element of spirituality in my work. People want to know they can be good people and still be successful in the business world. When I got out of school three decades ago, the idea for me was I was reading books like Swim with the Sharks and all this other kind of stuff. And I was always the kid who brought the apple to the teacher. So I thought I'm just going to be gobbled out there. And 
There have been times that didn't go as well for me as I would have expected. But the truth of the matter is looking back now, three decades later, at where my career is, because of the books, I feel like I've been able to change the business world more than it has changed me. And that's a nice little victory to have. But being able to sprinkle in these ideas of wisdom so that people can see things from the 30,000 foot view rather than getting lost in the weeds. Today, it's even more important than that. It's like we've lost the ability as a society to sit around the campfire and pass wisdom from the elders down to the younger generation. Really, you if you want to get better at leadership, and especially senior leadership, you have to come from the wisdom. You have to help people keep the right kind of perspective. And you can share your guidance. You can You can share things, but it's sitting around that campfire that makes the difference. This idea that people join companies but leave managers is real. That's true. That paradigm holds a lot of a lot of weight. So when you're thinking about how do you retain employees, especially in a virtual environment where they're working 100% remote, or maybe they're in a hybrid situation, CEOs who are being pulled are coming out and they're saying, yes, we want collaboration. Yes, we want agility, but we really need emotional intelligence. They used to call them soft skills in the old days because you need people who know how to bond especially when you're not seeing people every day in the break room. Remote relationships make it harder to have real trusting relationships. So how do I get the right kind of emotional intelligence in my senior leaders so that they can keep the remote employees engaged? So things are changing very quickly. We're building the plane while we're flying it. But to the degree that we can keep things simple, things that you can explain on the back of an envelope, I think that's really where the key is these days. You are so right, Paul. I think that more than anything, I really admire and respect the younger generations that are coming up because they are holding us to account the way that we've done things in a competitive patriarchal way, run businesses, run companies for centuries is no longer acceptable. And I think COVID really shined the light on that and illuminated all of the cracks and the fissures. And what I will say, though, it's funny, as I was sharing that, I had this beautiful image in my mind come to come to my vision, and it was of Kintsugi art. Are you familiar with Kintsugi art? I don't think so. Uh-uh. It's a beautiful Japanese artistic tradition where let's say you have a cup or a glass, your favorite teacup, your favorite bowl, right? And it breaks. What do most of us do? We throw it away. <laughs> and this is where we are as a society, right? However... Mm-hmm. What Kintsugi art does is it takes the broken pieces and it takes gold, 24, 14 karat gold, whatever it is, and reconnects the pieces to make something even more beautiful than whatever existed before. And that is Kintsugi art. And for me, Paul, I'm just, I'd never thought of this before, but as I'm sharing it, I see that is us as a society. We are this beautiful fractured bowl, globe, whatever you want to imagine. And it's only through Kintsugi gold, through what is that gold is the soft skills, the emotional intelligence, the compassion, the forgiveness, not just in the workplace, but in all ways that yes, we might have a broken world. Yes, things might be falling apart. And yet what if we could put the pieces back together and do it using a new adhesive such as compassion? It's the ability to heal right? What Neil Donald Walsh calls giving people back to themselves. It's this idea to me, Jennifer, I've always said, I I give the example of terminations because I have to talk about that when you're talking about leadership defense, right? There's an offense and defense. I use the sports metaphors. Leadership defense is holding people accountable. It's having tougher conversations. It's knowing how to discipline, knowing how to discharge. But I tell people is, look, 
even if you have to terminate someone, number one, do it early in the day and early in the week. Don't do it Friday afternoon at five o'clock. Don't sweep them out the doors if they never existed. People need access to other people. And you want to make a, I, I would tell people, make me your concierge. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. Okay. If you need help with your unemployment application, with your COBRA paperwork, your resume, if you want to do role-playing with your interview, because you haven't interviewed for a while, just whatever you need, I'm there for you. Help them heal. They're not bad people. I don't want someone who's worked for my company for five years walking out that door saying, I hate this company. I hate these people. Life is too short. It's come from thank you, come from gratitude. I, I will say, I'm sorry this happened, but yeah, I hope you can respect our decision. But I just want you to know that we appreciate everything you've done for us for the last five years. It's made a difference and we appreciate that. Mm. They're still not going to be happy with the fact they were terminated. If I may beg to differ with you on this, Paul, I will say there was one thing that was taught to me by a woman named Alison Armstrong years ago where she said the reason most people are pissed off or upset when they get fired or broken up with or whatever it is, is that it blindsides them. Most people, the reason they get really activated or reactive is they're caught off guard. Yet if we've done our job as the leader, as the HRs, whomever it is, as the conscious business person, then we've communicated. And she gave a particular layout when I was in this class with her where she said, you increase the pressure. I know I fired people in a... And what's the word I'm looking for? Less than graceful way. But when I was first starting, I didn't know how to do it because the leader or the manager, depending on how much experience they have, might be just as ashamed or guilt-ridden as you are, depending on the spiritual work that they've done. And mm -hmm. yet we realize we're keeping somebody in the wrong job is hurting them. It's hurting them emotionally. It's hurting them physically because you feel it in your bones when a job is not the right fit for you. Yeah. And, and can't argue with that logic. That does make sense. I will also say that depending on the level of emotional maturity, even if people have gone through steps of progressive discipline where they realize things aren't going as well as they can, and they're on final written warning, and they breach the terms of the final written warning with some clear incident that was, and then you terminate, they can still get very angry. The, the point is, yeah, they did see it coming but they still are angry that it's happening to them, not through them or for them, right? It's happening to them. And so I just think the idea would be is, look, it's not good news. And I appreciate that. I wouldn't like to be laid off with no notice or terminated after steps of progressive discipline. But the point is it does happen. And to the degree that you can help people walk away feeling, I'm not happy with the fact that it happened, but at least they were cool about it. At least they were very nice. You'd be surprised. There have been occasions on my, in my career where I've terminated them and they sent me flowers but, but, but because they just say, you know what, I, I know it was hard for you too when you handled it so well. It was so sincere and I really appreciate it. That's all I'm talking about. But give people back to themselves. They're not bad people. It, again, the, the conversations with God, no one does anything wrong given their model of the world. I don't come from judgment. I do have the right to come from observation. I do have the right as a manager to have high expectations for my employees. But you never want people to feel judged and you never want them to feel like being reprimanded in the second grade in front of the whole class. That's not what it's about. And so having that level of soft skills or emotional intelligence increases that ability for empathy and for putting yourself in other people's shoes and understanding that, look, you're the average bear. Would you want to be treated that way? It's a very simple question. In executive coaching, I talk to managers or senior executives or whatever that I'm coaching. And one of the questions is, would you want to work for you? And they're like, hmm. they think about that, right? And again, if the whole company followed your lead, 
would you be happy with where you took it? I, I borrowed that from conversations with God too. But Neil Donald Walsh says, if the whole world followed your lead, I just bring it down to a microcosm. If the whole company followed your lead in terms of your behavior, your role model, leadership, would you be happy with where you took it? Um, these questions are important questions. And the whole idea of executive coaching is to develop that sense of career introspection. People need to really give thought to who they are, who they choose to be relative to this concept of being a leader or a manager or an individual contributor or whatever it happens to be. But in the workplace, when they feel like, you know what, I can really be my, my, what they'll say is authentic self. I could be my true self. And I feel like people have my back. They're not going anywhere, even if they're going through a tough time, even if they're going to be disciplined. If, they, if It comes down to character and caring, right? The best boss you've ever had is someone who cared about you personally and someone whose character you respected. You admired the person. You can trust their word. People aren't going to leave when character and caring are coming into play. When selfishness is, is, is coming into play, whole different deal. To be successful despite others as opposed to be successful through others. What is it the message that your employees are receiving? And again, make yourself the average bear. If you are on the receiving end of that message, would you be happy? And if your answer is no, then you need to rethink what your leadership style is. This begs a very good question, Paul. And I know I struggled with this personally. I've heard so many other leaders struggle with this. Who is a good role model? Who do we look up to? I know I didn't know any better. When I was a young woman in my late 20s and I opened my first company, I didn't know how to manage two sticks. And all I knew was devil wears product. That was the only context I had. So who can we look to for role models? To a degree, it depends. It depends. I look back at probably eight different bosses that I've had in my 30 years and Four of them were fabulous and four of them were not very good. I was a 50-50. The first time I worked for someone who I thought was really outstanding, I was mature enough and old enough to know this is probably the best boss I'll ever have. And I enjoyed that time for what it was and I took it for what it was, realizing it's not going to last forever, but you enjoy everything in the moment, every day while you can. But at the same time, people set the goalpost on the other side of the field too that aren't necessarily trustworthy, don't necessarily have your back, maybe looking to undermine you or pit you against someone else. This is all part of relationships, whether it's in the business world, the personal world or whatever, you have to find out where is that comfort zone for you and how much is enough? At what point do you say enough is enough? I'm done. This is no longer healthy. The way I always phrased it was, it's not them anymore. Now it's just me. Okay. Now I don't want to do this. I don't want to play this game. And once I was in that mode, my wife would be like, okay, you're in that mode. I know what's coming next. And it's, yes, I would start a job search and I would find something new because this does happen to all of us. We live life in reality. It's not all perfect in a book, but at the same time, be the gift. You're right. What you want for yourself, give to another, pay it forward. In other words, if you can be someone else's favorite boss, that's a prism that pulls it all through employee engagement, employee development, this whole idea, employee satisfaction, all through that one prism. Are you paying it forward? Are you being someone's favorite boss? Are you being to your employees what your favorite boss was to you? Keep it simple. Keep it on the back of an envelope. And to answer your question, you may not know yet who your favorite role model boss is because you may not have had it. I didn't have that person until I was probably in my late 30s. But I knew when I had it because I could. I, you can see it once you've been around the block for a little while. And, and it's not a bad thing either, Jan, because it's like, 
if you have the very best boss you're ever going to have as your first job out of school, that's almost negative too, in the sense where you're used to a standard that it's going to be hard to replicate through the rest of your career. And you don't necessarily want to get all the great stuff out of the way in the first job that you've had. So the point is just know it, appreciate it, and learn more about yourself. You can be the role model for yourself, regardless of what you see out there. But when you do get that role model, enjoy it while you have it, because it's fleeting. It doesn't last forever. Uh, I think something important to piggyback on what you just said, Paul, is we can only receive the sort of respect and appreciation from somebody else that we are willing to give to ourselves. And I know for so many of us, we naturally feel drawn for these people who are jerks because that's how we don't feel like we deserve it. We feel, oh, we're bad or wrong in some way. I know I personally went through that. And it's one of my friends, it's more romantically related, but she said to me when I was going through a divorce about six years ago, she said, Jen, you deserve to find somebody who will cherish you. Though first, you won't be able to receive that until you can cherish yourself. And I would say the same applies to job hunting and careers. You deserve to find a boss who will cherish you, appreciate you, respect you, acknowledge you. And yet if you can't do that for yourself, you'll never be able to receive it from someone else. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a very healthy way of looking at it. And the other thing too is just give it. When people talk about, I don't feel like I'm respected because this happens, or I don't feel like my opinion matters. I don't think they're listening to me. The question is, okay, put the mirror up for a minute. Are you giving that to other people? And oftentimes the answer is, well, maybe not as much as I could be. And it's, yeah, that's a humble way of saying it. What goes around comes around. Karma is real. What, what emanates from you returns to you. And as long as you can focus on giving it away, I think the universe knows that you can't give away anything that you don't already have. So it kind of cements in your mind this idea that, yeah, I, I've already got it and I've got it to give. So how do I do that? Again, make of your life a gift. And that one of my books even is called 2600 Phrases for Effective Performance Reviews. Managers have a hard time writing reviews and they need words to help them figure out what's going to trigger my thought here because I have to describe this Paul Falcone fella and I just don't know how to do it. So I had written this book, which is a phrase book, but so many of the phrases are inclusive of these, I want to say spiritual ideas, right? What you want for yourself, give to another, teach what you choose to learn. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, whatever you want to put in. I always say what we were talking about last week, Jen, was Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God, how that book became for me such a critical part of who I am. And I like to think that I can take little nuggets from that book and intersperse it in a business context. Because again, in a business context, it is not um, the law of the jungle. Only the sharks will survive, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure that exists in certain industries or companies, but I've worked in some pretty tough shops, movie studios, hospitals with MD, PhDs. These are not always the easiest. I've worked in private equity. I get a feel for things. What I will tell you is this, when you come from kindness, when you come from goodness, people will treat you the way you treat them. And even in the harshest environments, you will have people who are known for being really tough. He's really hard to work with. Yet for some reason, Paul, he gets along with you. And this is what my experience has been. So what I'm saying is this is something that can be replicated. This is not, you, you we're making it too hard. You just come from beingness. Forget the doingness, right? We're always worried about doing. What are you doing to become someone's favorite boss? Or what are you doing to keep your employees happy? The answer is when people describe their favorite boss, they talk about 
She always had my back. She challenged me to do things I didn't even think I was ready for. She had more faith in me than I had in myself. He really always made me feel included. I always felt like my opinion mattered and he had my back. Those elements, again, are not from their doing this. They didn't do anything. It's just who they were. It's their character. It's their caring. And from that, they did certain things as well. Of course, it's both. But it's really coming from the beingness element. That's all we need to focus on as human beings. You want to be a great parent? You want to be a great husband, wife? You want to be a great human manager? Come from the beingness. Who are you? Who do you choose to be? And how do you pay it forward? These are very simple questions. But in executive coaching or in management training, it gets people thinking about things because they've never been trained on those things before. It's funny how that can be an ultimate game changer, even something as simple as that that you can explain on the back of a napkin. I want to acknowledge you, Paul. You really put the humanness in being because you are just such a thoughtful human being and human resources expert. And I so deeply appreciate the consciousness with which you bring to the books you write and to the people and the companies you support. I think it's a rarity. And I think that many of us could look to you as a role model of how to be a better leader, Paul. It's nice of you to say, Jennifer. Thank you. <laughs> My friend, tell us, was there any last snippet, piece of wisdom, maybe something I didn't get a chance to ask you that you'd love to leave our audience with today? No, I think that we're going through some pretty crazy times. There have been other times like this. We think of the great generation that grew up in the Great Depression and moved into the world into the World War II period. We know coming out of World War I how things were changing. We're in Industrial Revolution Four phase began in 2016, where everything is the metaverse and artificial intelligence. There's so much stuff. There's the politics. There's the global warming. You get to a point where it's easy to put the covers over your head and just say, I can't deal with this anymore. Can't listen to the news. Can't do 24-7 news cycle. People are feeling like their nerves are exposed, right? The, the wires are exposed. They're afraid. People are tired. COVID was hard and COVID isn't going away. It, it, it was two to three years of real COVID. Now we're in this post-COVID reintegration phase, which is probably going to take three to five years. I think we just need to calm the room. I think we need to be a voice for our employees to make it safe for them to know that you guys, it is hard, but we've got each other's backs. We're here for one another. And that shows itself in the example you gave earlier. When someone says they need additional time off, just give them the time. Okay. And also to talk to your employees about, do you need anything? Can I help take anything off your desk? Is there anything that the rest of the team could maybe take on to relieve you of some of your pressures that you're feeling right now? When they know you care, it doesn't, again, it doesn't change the objective reality. They're still feeling stressed for whatever reason. But the funny thing, Jennifer, is when they have a manager with a heart and a manager who cares about them personally, they're not going anywhere. It fixes retention. It fixes discretionary effort. It fixes this idea of having enough trust in me that I can take risks so that we can get to things that are more creative or innovative. That's all part of the same continuum. It, it, that creativity and innovation doesn't start at point X. It's part of a feeling of trust where I can take safe risks here and not get my head lopped off. This is the wisdom that I think needs to go on out there because the change is coming so quickly and really strong leaders are going to look at that. They're going to have empathy for where their employees are, but they're going to take them to a place that they become the role model because they're making it safe for their employees, again, to take safe, to take safe risks and, and to make of themselves a gift. But you've got to talk about it. You've got to sit around that campfire. You've got to have these one-on-ones. 
that's where the relationships really happen and that's where they thrive. Beautiful, Paul. Paul, where can people connect with you? Is it paulfalcone.com? Is that the best website for people to go to? Almost. You're almost there. It's paulfalconehr.com. That's my website because of human resources. So it would make sense. But I like using my name and everything. I'm LinkedIn. I'm Paul Falcone. One, if they want to send me a LinkedIn, they're more than welcome to do so too. And my books are obviously Amazon, Barnes & Noble and those kinds of things. Thank you, Paul. I just am so happy to be reconnected with you. It's been way too long. And to be able to share, it's always been a pleasure. Anytime I've ever had the opportunity to interview you, you always have such wise pearls to share with myself and with our audience. Deeply grateful to you. Paul Falcon has been here, world-famous speaker, best-selling author, storyteller, and incredible human being. I am Jennifer Cahill. I'm the CEO of OptiMatch. It is a pleasure to always have you trusting, tuning in, listening, sharing these episodes. Maybe there's somebody out there who had a tough week. Maybe you're someone who has a friend or a loved one who is struggling in their career right now. Share this episode with them and help them to up-level the consciousness of their careers. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer.